0: So is it easy to make a rabbi, and should it be?
1: So the language that we like to use is formation. Mm -hmm. That We don't bake rabbis. We don't (laughs) build rabbis. um, That really what we're helping to do is form rabbis. And there are a lot of parts to that work.
2: From the recording studios of Reconstructing Judaism, welcome to Trending Jewish with Rachel Burgess. And
0: Brian Schwartzman, and we have a very interesting episode that we're going to be a very interesting interview and conversation that we're having today. I think, you know, I'm trying to remember what the old rhymes were growing up um, about like how girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice and... Like there's somehow ingredients that somehow make up a person. And this is going to be a really interesting discussion because we're going to be talking to um, Dr. Elsie Stern, who is the dean of the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. And besides going into her background as a biblical scholar, we're going to learn about how to make a rabbi like we're baking a cake, like because that's how rabbis yeah, are like, made. Is there right? a
2: recipe, you know, f- follow this, put in this and you get. End product?
0: Right. Because, I mean, we know that rabbis are very important to, um, they've been important to Jewish society for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they are still very, very important to our communities today, our Jewish communities. Um, So we're going to be talking quite a bit about what a rabbi is now, what it means to cultivate and Build the skills needed for ra- for rabbinical students to go out into the world today and be Jewish leaders. So I'm pretty I'm pretty excited about this. I liked I like those behind the scenes. Like how does how does stuff work?
2: I think we also get into what what motivates somebody to go into biblical scholarship. You yeah. know, I don't. I, I mean, I guess I don't. I I don't know what you, that's not a thought I ever, I ever had. So like, what, how does somebody get that into the idea, get that idea into their head? Yes, I'm going to. I'm going to pursue biblical scholarship on the highest levels.
0: You know, because also, like, especially today in today's world, as we are engrossed in science and and secularism and things like that, we're kind of, you know, what is the importance of Bible um, and studying the Bible and becoming a scholar? And one of the things that I've heard... Um, specifically about Elsie as a professor is she makes this sound pretty interesting. It's like it's engaging Um, and she's passionate about what she taught, what she knows. And she's excited to be able to share that information. And we're I'm very, very excited to be able to get a taste of what it is like to sit in a class with our dean. Yes. and and,
2: and, And for a change. The dean comes to our office. We don't have to go to the dean's office. I don't know if you got sent to the dean's office. <laughs> Actually, I got in a I, lot of trouble in seventh grade, but I, I don't really. Think, yeah, what did you
0: do? And what could you, Brian Schwartzman, possibly do?
2: Oh, I just, re, I just derailed this whole show, didn't I?
0: Yes, you did. But now you can't. Now you can't back out of this. It's not
2: going to sound good on the air. Um, but I, I went to. I went to. Um, I was I was actually getting getting whaled on in 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 cooking class home economics like there was this big kid who was just like wham wham into my shoulder and like the teacher was I went to a wonderful school but the teacher was kind of just standing by oblivious so I believe I believe I, I I picked up a kitchen knife in in kind of just like stop hitting me and then I got sent to the dean's office. Wow. I know. Hopefully that's not on my permanent record, but um cuz i could see in you know as an adult how this how this looks pretty serious but Don't mess with Brian. at the time i was kind of confused i was you know obviously okay, so um Anyway, I don't know how we got there, but clearly these things happen to But we're not you. in
0: trouble now. You are not in trouble now. It's
2: just interesting how things happen to you and they just stick with you even when you don't think about them for years and years, but
0: Well, you're also not somebody who gets in trouble. You are you're just such a nice guy, Brian. Like, I can't can't imagine you ever getting in trouble. Is
2: that pretty bad that I have to go back to, like, seventh grade to the last time I can... It's that Jewish guilt. ...remember getting busted, but... um,
0: Are you going to be bringing that up as part of, like, your teshuva when going into high holidays, or...? Possibly,
2: possibly. So, uh, before we jump into it, uh, which... What do we do before we jump into it? We say...
0: First of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and we love
2: you, listeners.
0: We love you. We love you very much, and and we're happy that we get to share all of these things with you. Um, And you know, definitely, you know, tell your friends about us. Write us a review um, and rate us on um, all. All of the podcasting sites, um, not just the ones that you listen on, but you can also find our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, and Castro. Um, and, and if you give us a good rating, other people will see it too. We can all have a great discussion together. Um, and also, if you like our work and you would like to support it, you can support our work by going to reconstructingjudaism.org donate. Now that that business is uh, is over,
2: right? I could I couldn't get through these intros with without uh, without you, Rachel. This Thank you. This is what
0: teamwork is about. All
2: right, I appreciate teamwork. So, we are thrilled to welcome uh, Dr. Elsie Stern to the uh, to the show today. Who will also, by the way, talk about what it's like to grow up in in a rabbinic uh, in a rabbinic family. So, Dr. Stern is the vice president of academic affairs here at uh, Reconstructing Judaism, the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College. Stern is uh, described as a vibrant biblical scholar whose teaching is often focused on social justice issues. She moved to the vice presidency after having served as associate professor since 2012 and before that, she taught at the Department of Theology in Fordham University, and she was assistant director for public programs at the University of Pennsylvania's Center for Advanced Judaic Studies, which is actually how I first uh, first met and uh, encountered uh, Dr. Stern.
0: You also know everybody. You, you just so, know so everybody, Brian.
2: Dr. Stern's recent research focuses on the transmission and reception of biblical texts in early Jewish settings. So we are, uh, we are welcomed and thrilled to have Dr. Elsie uh, Stern on our show. Thanks for being here.
1: I'm delighted to be here.
2: <laughs> we look at each other as who's, who's starting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so how did you end up as the dean of a rabbinical college? How does that, how does that happen? How did, how did that end up being your destination so far? It's a
2: right,
1: long and sordid tale. Right,
2: because I understand, I mean, this, this isn't, Totally foreign to you, you started you 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 had your your father was a rabbi and you have other rabbis in the family, but yet you chose a academic academic uh, path and still ended up here so i don't know if that shortens the tale a little bit, but can you
1: <sighs> i think um people always suspect that um, something about being the child of a rabbi and I'm also the granddaughter of a rabbi, sister and sister-in-law of a rabbi wow. somehow leads to becoming the dean of a rabbinical school. Um, I'm sure in some way it does. The The journey that I experienced was it's what happens when you take somebody who didn't go into theater education and didn't go into Uh, conventional academia. That's how you end up the dean of a rabbinical school. Um, I have always been interested in performance, in how people are effective in the world, how people communicate in the world. And as an undergrad, fell in love with the Hebrew Bible and went on to graduate school in Bible. And even as I was in a conventional PhD program, realized I was much more interested in the magic that happens when people, in my case, particularly Jews, come into contact with Bible. What? How do people talk Bible? How do people receive Bible? So all my academic work was always at the intersection of The Bible as it is performed in popular Jewish spaces. And if you think about who the people are who are most often responsible for um, brokering, as I like to say, Bible, in Jewish spaces, it's rabbis. So what originally brought me to RRC was really the opportunity to help shape the folks who were going to be deep receivers of the biblical transition, of the biblical tradition, and then transmit it out To folks. Um, So that's what originally brought me to RRC. And I think that's where being the, you know, having grown up surrounded by rabbis kicks in. Um, I know what rabbis do, I know what their lives look like. Um, I'm deeply grateful for the work that they do for the Jewish people and the chance to become dean and to shape that process was one that I couldn't pass up.
0: You know, there's a word that you brought up actually a couple times where that I didn't, I wouldn't necessarily associate that with Bible or the rabbinate and you say performance. So how does performance, how does that play into creating a rabbi or getting people engaged with Bible?
1: So Judy when I say perform, I need to say I don't mean that as something inauthentic or as something fake. I mean when we bring our whole selves to the enactment of something, that's what it means to perform it. So um for me, rabbis in our culture are the people who are often enacting Judaism for folks and helping other people engage with their hearts, their minds, and their bodies in the enactment of Judaism, be that through ritual, be that through community, be that through engagement with text.
2: This is probably also not not a, uh, there, there's not a short answer to this one, but I'm curious, how do you think about making a rabbi in, in, in 2018? It's not, I mean, from from what I see, it's it's clearly not only about making sure they they know their Aleph Betz and their Torah and their Talmud or even that they have all their pastoral skills. But there's 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 something there's something almost in that's hard to articulate in, in in describing or forming what makes a rabbi. I mean can you
1: so I think it starts with what we think rabbis do. We understand the work rabbis do to help people make meaning of their lives. And connect to the holy and the sacred in not only moments of life's greatest intensity, but in their day to day, and also to help individuals and communities bring, and it sounds corny to say it, but greater love, justice, and peace into the world. So if the rabbi's role is to use all the stuff of Jewish tradition for meaning making, connection to the holy, and the betterment of individual and community, then figuring out how to give them the tools to do that is what we're doing when we say we're forming rabbis.
0: So how hard is it to make or see, I, I hate making it sound like you're baking bread yeah. or, or, mm-hmm. or making cookies because that's not how it works. But um, so there's a very. Important purpose that rabbis have? Is it easy to become a rabbi and should it be?
1: So, the language that we like to use, which is language that originally comes from our colleagues in the Christian seminary world, is formation. Mm -hmm. Um, That, right, we don't bake rabbis, we don't build (laughs) rabbis. um, That really what we're helping to do is form rabbis. And there are, as you guys have suggested, there are a lot of parts to that work. Part of that is learning the richness of Jewish tradition. So engagement with texts, engagement with what have the lives of our Jewish ancestors been like, what's the amazing world of thought and experience that has traveled down the generations. So that's the kind of um, the classroom, the cognitive piece. Then there is a piece that is about learning to serve, and that's where um, our amazing fieldwork program comes in. That's where our classes in practical rabbinics come in, where rabbis learn the concrete skills they'll need to lead communities, to teach, to um, accompany people as they're in really intense moments of their lives. And then the third piece of it is what's the work that goes on internally, the work of spiritual growth, the work of personal growth, um, what's the reflection that helps our students understand a couple of things. I think both to understand what's going on with themselves in any given moment so that they can better serve, and I think also really to build up their mus- the muscles and antennae that allow them to connect to the holy and the sacred in their own experience so they can help other people do that connecting to the holy and the sacred too. So it's really those, I think of it as, you know, three legs of a stool or three points of a triangle. There's the um, growing engagement with and we hope love affair with the Jewish legacy. There's the professional toolkit. And then there's that internal work of spiritual growth and personal growth and spiritual discernment.
2: Without wanting to the last thing we want to do is stereotype. So so tell me if this is an off-based question. But I'm I'm wondering if if we see general qualities in rabbinical students today that's that's different from the past. Like like maybe they're coming in more spiritually aware, but less Less conversant in 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 ritual or or, or something like that. Do you, are there any any trends or general characteristics we can talk about?
1: Um, you know, I've only been deeply engaged with rabbinical students in this work for the past ten years, so don't know before that. And know that the um, in the ten years I've been here, we are always. The fun of the fun of this place is the wide range of journeys and paths that bring people to RRC. So we have people who come to RRC because they had amazing, fruitful, growthful, immersive Jewish experiences that they want to make available to other people. And then we have people who come because they their early Jewish experiences were not ones that Help them make meaning and help them connect to the holy. And they want to be rabbis so that they can make sure that they're building communities that do allow people those connections. So I think you get people. Um, many paths lead to our door.
0: What are those characteristics with all of those different paths and all? Because there are, um, especially walking through the halls at RRC, everybody is just so different, which is beautiful. But is there something that? That ties everybody together?
1: Um, I think everybody who comes to rabbinical school has a deep, deep desire to serve Jewish people, Jewish communities, and our fellow travelers. Um, So I think that is, it takes five years and a hefty tuition check to become a rabbi. And um, everybody who walks through our doors has the commitment that is kind of commensurate with that investment. Um, so I think a deep passion for serving the Jewish people is a piece of it. I think a deep love for Torah. And when I say Torah, I mean not just you know the five books of Moses, but really all that wisdom that's been um, been part of the Jewish conversation for millennia. Um, I think our students are also drawn to the intensities of human experience. Um, one of the great gifts of rabbis is they're with people at moments of birth. Moments of partnering, moments of coming of age, moments of death and of grief, um, which are some of the kind of highest decibel human experiences. And I think folks who want to be rabbis um, not only have a deep tolerance for those moments, which not everybody has, but um, are really drawn to their power and really understand those moments as times when the sacred is sometimes the most accessible
2: Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flub it, but I was, I was just at a, a writers conference where the the fiction writer Dan Sean talked about um, fiction being a way of, of of giving people more of those those moments that uh. really matter and 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 stick with you. So, I mean, I'm not comparing, you know, modern fiction to to to, to Judaism, but 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 is there a, a I mean, a storytelling aspect that's, that's similar since you mentioned theater and performance earlier?
1: I think there's both a storytelling aspect, but there's also a um, a noticing aspect or a muscle strengthening aspect. I'm not sure that rabbis create holy moments. They can set the stage where people can more easily access or experience the holy and the sacred that is always around us and that sometimes we hook into and sometimes we don't. Um, And one of the ways they do that is through the power of our Jewish stories. So if you think about um, what makes a Seder more significant for folks than a Wednesday night dinner, although I guess some Wednesday night dinners are sacred and holy. It's the bringing of the story and the sharing of the story of liberation from Egypt and everyone around that table claiming that story is theirs. Um, It's the claiming of that communal story, I think, that makes us more alive to the connections with the people around the table the connections between the folks around the table and our ancestors, and also the ways in um, which—all the ways in which we feel free and not free. Um, And I think it's the—it's not only the telling of the story, but the committing to that story that allows those connections to become visible in ways that they might not otherwise
0: so there's something that I think about when we talk about stories and um, performance, but in a genuine way of of built, bringing your full self out in a very engaging way. Um, in the past several years, as our technology has changed, the way we interact with stories has changed. Um, I think in both being effective as a rabbi and in training rabbis, is there an element more... So now than in the past of almost having to entertain somebody to make them feel
1: connected. I don't know. entertain. certainly engage, but I think that's probably always been the case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that one of the one of the things that I'm really proud about about the way we train rabbis, is we are very true to deeply rooted, boldly relevant. And I think that often the story that the rabbi is telling is the story that makes that bridge from deeply rooted to boldly relevant. Um, So I'm thinking of an example. Um, We once had a student who was doing an assignment for a biblical civilization course that I teach where they were assigned to do a TED Talk And this student was thinking about the stories, the ancestor stories in Genesis. And we had talked about how probably in the earliest of days, the different tribes didn't think they were related to each other and that over time, this story of kinship grows up. And what difference it makes that Jews now think we're all in the same family when that was probably not the way our earliest ancestors thought about each other. And... This student made a connection between our ancestors moving from thinking we were just folks who lived in the same neighborhood to folks who thought they were kin to the idea of chosen family, especially how it plays out in queer community. And the way that, especially in queer community, the idea of chosen family is that you don't need to be blood kin to have the sorts of connections obligations, reliabilities, intimacies that we characterize as family. And that was a case for me of thinking about what had happened in our ancestral story a couple thousand years ago and helping folks understand that this, the work of um, kind of anointing people as family is work that we continue to do all the time, to- all the time, and to our great benefit. Um,
0: what does that do for you as a teacher, seeing those connections, especially, um, you know, as as we're really thinking about modern times and modern, you know, thinking about um, family, for example, what does that do for you as a teacher watching those connections?
1: Oh, it makes me so happy. So one of the things I like to say is distinctive or, or that I really appreciate about a Reconstructionist approach to Judaism is... Um, I like to talk about Judaism is what happens at the intersection of Torah and the Jews. That, you know, Torah has been there for all of our, you know, it's always there as material for us to draw on. And in every generation, the folks who are Jews are changing. And it's when those two come together that the Judaism at any moment is born. So when my students kind of let loose and take that material and filter it through their own individual experiences and their own individual gifts and perspectives and sense of humor, what is born there, what's born at that intersection becomes extraordinarily powerful Torah. And to get to think, oh, I at least, you know, laid the, I put the sand in the sandbox for them to play in and look at what they built is always, makes my day.
2: So, with the exception maybe of a, of a prophet or two, we've we've never had the ability to predict the future. So that's that's been a constant, but it it's been it's a problem for <laughs> a problem. But it seems like now maybe more than ever, we're sending rabbis out into a, a landscape that we just we just don't know what it's going to look like, even five, ten years down the road. So how do you? Prepare. I mean, in any profession, how do you prepare prepare someone when you're when you're pretty sure the professional landscape is going to change pretty soon?
1: I believe there are a few constants in Jewish history, aside from the fact that always thinking that we are at a moment of great change <laughs> and what happens next <laughs> is entirely unpredictable. Um, I think that one of the most important things is to train folks who are adaptable to change, who are eager to serve in whatever context Jews are coming to for meaning-making, for community, and to try to connect to the holy. And I think RRC has always been really good about understanding that, that happens in all sorts of contexts. We've always trained congregational rabbis, but the congregational rabbinate, we've always understood the congregational rabbinate to be one of many equal sites where rabbis do that important work. So campuses, chaplaincy settings, education settings, organizations, we understand all those contexts to be contexts that need rabbis and where rabbis help people do that meaning-making and finding the holy work. And as long as we can continue to train rabbis with those skills who are open and excited about a range of settings, I think we're in good shape. So
0: one of the things that you've launched um, since you've been dean that's been really interesting to see grow is you're teaching your students about entrepreneurship. So why was that a direction that you wanted to go? And what are you seeing now that you're a couple years into this program?
1: Great. Yeah, I'm very grateful to my colleague, Sid Weissman, who's our Assistant Vice President for Innovation and Impact, who also teaches our entrepreneurship class. Um, I think one of the one of the contexts or languages that has grown up in our current landscape that teaches those strategies of adaptability to change and the ability to see what are the unmet needs in the landscape and work together with other people to think of, uh, creative and effective answers to those needs or whatever meets needs solutions to those needs um, is entrepreneurship. And I think our students, at least they say that they've benefited very much from the opportunity to learn those skills um both in the concrete of here's how you write a business plan, but also a um, a mindset of, which I think aligns in a lot of ways with our fundamental conviction that the rabbinate is a career of service, is being able to identify what are the needs and work together with folks to figure out how to meet those. Um, I think one of the things you had asked about characteristics of rabbinical students, um, I can certainly say RRC attracts very, very creative people, so the solutions that our students are proposing to problems that are expressed in the world um, are creative and terrific and I think very representative of the kinds of folks who were blessed to teach well,
2: what else makes this this program that you run unique or or separates it from some of some of the other training programs out there um
1: I can tell you what I'm really proud of about it. The I think one thing is our civilizational approach, which has been a hallmark of Reconstructionist thought since the beginning, which is the idea that Judaism is an evolving religious civilization, so that the only constant to Judaism is change, and that at every moment of our history – Jews and Judaism are being shaped by the Jewish legacy and whatever the culture in which they live, and that's how we teach Judaism. So when our students are learning Bible or our students are learning Talmud or our students are learning Zohar, they're learning not only how to mine those texts for meaning, but also the way those texts reflected and responded to the needs of Jews at the moment that they were created. And I'm really proud of that because it, I think, fosters both an empathy with the tradition. We understand that these texts grew out of people's lived experience, but also um, enough distance that we can recognize the places where those texts may resonate and align with us, but also the places that they don't and are able to um, be easy with that. I think the other things that I'm really proud of about the program are the ways that in the latter years of the program, students can really customize and individualize the program to the, help them become the rabbis they hope to be. So whether that's through independent study or what they choose to study while they're in Israel, or through the choices they're making around their courses, that students really can um, tailor their education to the rabbis they want to be. I think the other thing that I'm really grateful for at RRC is that, and again, this grows out of our Reconstructionist convictions, um, it's really important to us that the rabbinate, primarily, you know, we have some impact in the North American rabbinate, reflects and responds to the experience of folks who are Jews. And I think that RRC has always been a place that has tried to expand the demographics of the rabbinate to make sure that the rabbinate reflects the diversity of contemporary Jewish community, and it's something we're always um, only trying to get better at, and is a commitment that I'm really proud of.
0: So, how do you have? So, you have a very diverse group of students, um, as you were saying, and you specifically, that is the goal is to have a very diverse group of people that reflect Jews today. How do you mend those bridges between you know, different points of views, different life experiences that shape the way that you might approach different, um, whether it's political topics or how you would approach Torah, or how do you bridge those gaps or make those connections where... We're so polarized, it's hard to make those connections now.
1: Um, it's probably the hardest work for any of us at this 21st century moment. And we try to teach our students how to listen to each other open heartedly with empathy, um, how to be invested in understanding one another rather than persuading one another. And also how to be able to tolerate hearing views that are very, very different from one's own, even in a place where you have some expectation that people are going to be like you. Um, We once had a student, student came to me, an amazingly perceptive, self-perceptive student, who was able to say, you know, for all these years, I felt like I was the only person in the world who wanted to be a rabbi. And one of the things that I was so looking for, I was so imagining I would experience when I came to rabbinical school was, wow, all these people want to be rabbis. They must be just like me. And she described coming to the realization, yes, that all these people want to be rabbis and we have that in common. And as you said, are very, very different in other ways. Um, And she talked about that realization both with – I think, some sense of sadness, but also kind of a realization and coming to peace with um, that I think where we started, that all the students in this building share a deep commitment and passion for Judaism and the Jews, are deeply committed to greater love, justice, and peace. And within that... um, have a variety as infinite as,
2: you know, the stripes and the colors of the stripes in Joseph's coat. And it's I mean, we talk about it sometimes like it's easy, but it's it's it can be really difficult to engage in with with someone, even even someone with on the surface a lot in common with you when you really disagree with something that's core to you or your identity or your your political beliefs or your religious interpretation. I mean, I mean, is there anything in our in in our curriculum that that uh, that helps um, helps folks master that?
1: I think it's actually harder with people who you share more with. Um, so I don't even think I think the expectation that it's going to be easier is actually um, not borne out. Um, that it's actually harder to disagree about core issues with people with whom you share so many commitments. Um, So this semester, we are doing training for all our students and faculty around effective communication and constructive conflict. Um, We're bringing in an amazing scholar and trainer, um, Dr. Eleonora Bartoli from Arcadia University, who's going to help us develop what are skills and strategies for exactly for staying in relationship even when there is significant difference? Well, since we have
2: a biblical scholar in in the house, I've got a couple of couple of questions too, but they might they might be multi parters. But um,
0: oh, he was so excited for this. <laughs> this, <laughs>
2: this is this is maybe this is the softball, but. I got the sense a couple when we spoke, I don't know, a year or two ago that you you felt it was really important that not only rabbis but you know, Jews, non-Jews, the general public have some clue or or some basic working knowledge as to biblical scholarship, biblical criticism. Did did I did I get that right? Am I making am I making it up? Is it is it important because because this is the the Bible writ large is something that is thrown around so much in our in our discourse and our society and our political culture is you know, does it do people need to understand where where it comes from how how it was made?
1: I think people who engage with Bible it's a good idea um, especially people who are invoking its authority. Um, I do hope that those folks understand that each community constructs the Bible's authority in its own way and differently. Um, And that the Bible, without communities that consider it holy and authoritative, the Bible wouldn't be holy and authoritative. So um, when people are bringing the Bible as a meaning-making text or an authoritative text, I do hope that they'll be aware of the ways in which that meaning-making and that authority looks different for Jews than it does for Christians, for liberal Jews, for Orthodox Jews, for Catholics, from Protestants. So there's a humility and a self-awareness that even though we're looking at the same words on the page, the meaning and authority of those words may be radically different for me and for another um, Bible-centered person that I'm talking to, even as we um, are both deeply engaged with the same text.
2: You have a Bible question or it's all me? Uh, I, no, I think... I
0: think it was all you. I think, well, I think, you know what? I... I will ask one. So one of a compliment that I've actually heard about you from st- unnamed students, because we don't want the <laughs> no favorable treatment here is, I mean, you take... A topic like the Bible, and it is heavy, and it feels old, and like you need a like a long beard just to even access this. And a compliment that I have heard about you specifically is that you are very, very enthusiastic, and you're very passionate in in your teaching. And I think part of that is you you do have this love and passion for teaching. But what makes you what makes Bible so exciting for you?
1: <laughs> I think so. I said to Brian what the constants of Jewish civilization are. The constants of my now, you know, many decades career as a teacher is I'm always told I'm enthusiastic. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think I'm enthusiastic by nature. Um, I also think the the Bible has had this extraordinary journey and life in our people's history, and I think— at every stage, it's helped us grapple with what, to me, are questions worth getting excited about. What's the nature of God? How much power and agency do we have over our own lives? How do we decide who's inside a community and outside a community? What's our relationship to the natural world? So since the Bible has been... um, our tool and conversation partner in that conversation for millennia, I think because I'm excited about those questions. I'm excited about the text that's been such a core part of them.
2: All right. So I guess I have to go here. For for um, listeners who tuned into our last episode knows I've been fascinated and, and kind of struggling with the, the, the writings of the Israeli uh, historian and philosopher uh, Yuval Harari, if I'm if I'm pronouncing it right, and he he had a piece. Um, it's actually a couple of years old in in Haaretz, where he it was it was speaking to an Israeli audience. But he was kind of like, you know, Jews get over it. Yes, you 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 know, you have a wonderfully rich culture, but you know, to think you're at the center of human events, you know, is misplaced. And um, you know, he sort of argued actually, Judaism and and Jews haven't had this outsized impact when you when you take a look at the full span span of history. And 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 he kind of argues that even the Hebrew Bible is not particularly unique. And he says something here that um that uh you know a thousand years before Amos and Jeremiah, the Babylonian king Hammurabi explained that the great gods instructed him to make justice prevail in the land. So like even even the the idea of this moral code you know he's arguing wasn't you know, predated the Hebrew Bible by, you know, by a good bit. So how, I mean, I mean, how unique is this, um, is this inheritance we have um, from, from the Hebrew Bible? Is that, is that something you thought about, argued over, or is it not a, not a relevant question in in today's age because it's ours?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure what we gain by spending a lot of time worrying about whether it's unique or not. What's interesting to me is the ways in which the, our ongoing relationship with the text, and it gets even more interesting because there are other communities who have ongoing relationships with the same text, how that's changed our worldview, our sense of justice, our sense of identity. Um, so I think I'm more interested in its role as an ingredient that has shaped what a Jewish worldview is. Then I am in its um, in the size of its footprint or its uniqueness. I think one of the ways, we, and now I'm a. I always say to my students, really, I don't know anything between the fifth century C.E. and the twentieth century. And whenever <laughs> I venture into that territory, <laughs> anything I say should be taken with a grain of salt. But I'm going to venture there anyway. Um, I think one of that part of the reason why Jews have had kind of an outsized role in kind of what we think in European accounts of civilization is um, I think we, for 2,000 years, have been a people that has dwelled in two civilizations and that I think there are many, many other groups that have – been living that life for some period of time, but it's that sense of, as Jews and Americans—you probably don't want to use this, but I'll just answer (laughs) it—it has to do with colonialism. Like, it has to do with Jews. There's something about the Jewish social position for all these millennia that has made us useful in other people's thinking about themselves— so I think our sense of being really important actually really has come to do, us. yeah, has <laughs> to do with the ways that like we have been important in Christian self-definition.
2: Right. Well, he, uh, he, um, I and mean, he actually says, you know, well, it's you know, it's 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 usually the, it's been anti-Semites that have magnified Jews importance. But I, I guess huh. is it arguably the the Talmud has had a more profound effect on Jewish civilization than. You know than than the bible is that is that something that plays into curriculum shaping or or just how you how we get back to forming forming rabbis?
1: Yeah, so I think that one of the things um so the Talmud has been, and this is we think about this a lot, the Talmud has been probably the most influential text for Jewish men who engaged in Talmud study. Probably the Siddur, I would say, is the most influential Jewish text because mm. it's the one that cuts across that prayer is an activity, even though certain that certain kinds of prayer are not obligated for women. Prayer has been the communal activity that's cut across gender, age and class. Um, so I often argue that it's actually the liturgy. Um I think part of the reason why we focus so much on Bible is that um, many, many Jews encounter the Torah as, you know, every week in shul. So it's become a text that I think has um, had an impact on, again, Jews across gender, age and class. And I think also as, especially in America, where... The Torah is part of both the Jewish and Christian Bible. Um, It is because it plays such a significant role in Christian culture that it's also, I think that's magnified its role in American Jewish culture and also becomes um, a bridge and a common text and a common language as we are leading multi-faith communities, and as we're working in multi-faith coalition. But our students learn a lot of Talmud.
0: (laughs) More than they learn Bible. It almost sounded like a bit of a competition that Brian was trying to start, like, you know, Talmud versus Bible, go. Like, who who wins out among the Jewish people?
1: (laughs) And I think there are folks who will say that the Talmud has shaped Jewish habits of mind. Um... So not necessarily the content of any individual piece of Talmud, but the structure of not only the Talmud as a text, but of Talmud study, his shaped Jewish habits of mind. Um, whereas I think there is biblical content that lots and lots of Jews, and I think here of the Exodus story and the Shema, that Jews carry around in their bones.
2: Well, this well, That was my Bible questions. Are you, are you? uh... This
0: was fabulous. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And thank you for helping form, not bake or make or (laughs) for helping us, uh, for helping to train the rabbis that the Jewish world needs right now today and are relevant today. And thank you for all that you do.
1: Well, thank you for the conversation.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Elsie Stern, and you can find out more about the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, where Elsie is the dean, by going to rrc.edu. Thank you very much for joining us, and make sure that you rate us on whichever program you use to listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Castro, and wherever that you listen to podcasts, you can also find more information on our website by going to trendingjewish.fireside.fm. And if you have and feel free to message us our we have a page actually on our website at trendingjewish.fireside.fm. If there are any other topics that you would love to hear more about you would love us to dive into please shoot us a message we love suggestions and if you like our work you like what you're what you're listening to please help us support our work um you can make a gift to us by going to reconstructing judaism.org slash
2: donate thanks so much for listening this is uh continues to be a lot of fun